From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong with Revenue episode 32. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, technical SEO on your website. Hey, look, I know we do some big strategic topics like we talked about yesterday, uh, yesterday, talked about last week, blowing stuff up, but sometimes we got to get in the weeds a little bit and we're going to do that today uh, with looking at technical SEO. And I'll give you a little bit of backstory as to why we picked this topic because it's important. So thanks for joining, Eric. Welcome. Thanks for uh, helping out with this issue today. Anything I can do to help people get better results. Um, if you guys are looking for the show, you can check it out on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing channel. You can subscribe, you can like it, you can get, you can comment. We'll follow up with your comments. You can get all of our shows right on YouTube. You can get all of our audio and video content, including what's wrong with revenue at our new streaming, new free streaming service, Square Two Plus, on our website, square2marketing.com backslash square two plus P-L-U-S. And you can subscribe to the show. You can submit questions and you can get it on your calendar at what's wrong with revenue. It's a link at the bottom of our website in our footer. It's easy to find, easy to get access to show there. And if you're into podcasts, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. And again, like us, comment and subscribe on those podcast platforms. So thanks for joining everybody. You know, I have been noticing and a lot of companies have been talking about it over the past couple months, six months, nine months, that website traffic has been declining, specifically organic visitor traffic. And if less people are finding your site through search, that means less leads are coming to your coming into your business because your, your general visitors to your website is down. But I think it's worth talking about why, what's causing this. And maybe there's a lot of reasons that are actually contributing to this. One, uh, Google generally changes its algorithms fairly regularly and you need to keep up with it. But I've noticed also that your website and client websites and prospect websites we've been looking at can degrade over time too, producing a lot less uh, ranking opportunities. Um, and even the user experience can degrade and Google can notice this also. So if you don't have a website that's created for your visitors and if your site isn't signaling Google correctly, then it's very possible that you're gonna see a decline in organic visitors, which will impact your ability to generate revenue. So today, I wanted to spend a little time digging into this a little bit. All uh, disclosures, neither Eric nor I are technical SEO experts, but we know enough to be dangerous. And we're going to try to break it down for you a little bit today and talk about how to know if your site, you know, how to know how your site is doing from a technical SEO perspective what some of those fixes might be and how to potentially prioritize those fixes so you see some improvements quickly. Uh, more importantly, how to keep tabs on your site over time so you have less big 
projects and more little fixes. Maybe even how to stay up to date on what Google is doing so you can be a little more proactive and how to keep your visitors in mind when you go about making changes on your site. So Eric, I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you a technical SEO question, but I do know that when you talk to prospects, you do a very uh, preliminary SEO evaluation of their website. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit and some of the things you uncover in those experiences. And then I will follow up with some of the technical issues we've seen in client websites and share some of that information with our audience. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'd love to take you on that kind of the front end of that journey. So uh, as the uh, listeners and viewers know, I typically help prospective clients figure out which way they should go. And sometimes they do business with our firm and sometimes they don't. But I will say that there's a running theme of most of the businesses I talk to. And remember, Square Two typically helps big market entrepreneurial startup companies. We're not talking about enterprise here. We're talking about companies that are really trying to get to the next level. So typically the complaint is we don't have enough leads. Okay, that's fair. Glad you called. The next thing is, well, we don't have enough leads because we don't have enough website traffic. Okay, that makes sense. If we had more website traffic and better conversions and more nurturing, we would get more sales opportunities. And then when you dig into why they're not getting more uh, website traffic, SEO has got to be a topic that you talk about literally every single time. So I do two things. I typically run them through the HubSpot website grader, which doesn't give you a great SEO view, but it does say how your SEO ranks. And then it's on a scale of one to 30. When I see it in the 20 or less range, I use a second tool called the Screaming Frog. And the Screaming Frog is a free tool that you simply just put a website address in. And then it looks at your website as if you were a search engine. Now, this is a very interesting perspective because it's now immediately crawling the website that you've selected and looking at things like meta descriptions, keywords, H1s, and H2s. And I got to tell you, Mike, literally 85 to 90% of the time, most of those things are missing. So it's not even like our results are degrading. Sometimes they don't even set the basic foundation of making sure that every page has a meta description, make sure that every page has keywords attached. Your H1s and H2s are clearly defined about what you're talking about on those pages so Google can understand and, and, uh, and make the match when people are searching for you. So that is usually quite eye-opening to prospective clients because they assumed that the person or company that built their website made sure that it was SEO optimized, which it really isn't. What I explained to those folks is that when you're looking at it and you see these technical fixes, it's just a couple hours of work to then update it. Of course, once you've done the strategic work on what we're talking about, what phrases we want to be found for, what are the differentiators that we can include in our searches so that we do have like low effort, high volume. But after that strategy is done, the mechanical fixes to um, uh, adjust the website are relatively straightforward and brief. And like those little adjustments along the way would result in more traffic and subsequently more sales opportunities. So I see that, like I said, 85, 90% of the time, it's completely rare, or in other words, one out of 10 time that I pull up a screaming frog report and it's all nice and neat and organized. So once again, you know, some basic baby steps from our audience today to kind of get up to that level where they can start to do some next level search engine optimization is always an easy move. Yeah, it's a really good point. And look, I guess it also depends on how many pages they are, right? If they have 
a small amount of pages and it's not going to be difficult to go in and fix the titles and the meta descriptions. If they have 500 pages, you know, it might be a slightly bigger project, but it's yeah, true. you're right. I would say most of the websites that I see are hundred pages. Or yeah. Less. They're, they're, they're pretty small. Right. Um, so what I thought we would also do to kind of kick the show off and we'll do questions. We got questions like we do every week. We'll do questions um, halfway through the show. I thought I would maybe spend a little time talking about six or seven areas of technical SEO that I've identified as those that we tend to find uh, lacking most of the time. And I like Eric's uh, description of Screaming Frog. Uh, there are a variety of tools that you can get access to that don't cost anything that will give you a very good uh, idea of how well your website is doing and even some very specific direction in terms of what you can do to fix it. So SEM Rush uh, will look at your website. Ahrefs will look at your website. Um, even if you're on HubSpot, it can scan your website and give you a very good idea of how you're doing from a technical SEO perspective. And while these these uh, sites might not tell you exactly how to fix these problems, they certainly identify the areas that need attention. So. I grabbed six of them actually to talk a little bit about today on the show and give uh, everybody who's listening and watching at least a place to start, right? So, you know, this is kind of like, I'm telling you where to look uh, and, and the questions to ask of whoever built your website, whoever manages your website, whoever's responsible for SEO. These are some things that you should be paying some attention to. And I also found it interesting in our own research over the past couple of weeks, getting ready for the show, if your website has not been upgraded in, in terms of your CMS in a while, it might be very possible that the actual platform you're on is also holding you back. So for example, if you're on WordPress and you don't keep that WordPress uh, software updated, it's possible that you're using an old version of WordPress and it, the site is actually not going to rank appropriately because of the actual software you're using. So, you know, one of the benefits of moving to HubSpot is you don't have to worry about the software constantly being updated. They obviously do it for you. But when you're on WordPress, look, it's free. So that means you're going to have to do a little bit of extra work. You got to go in and make sure your plugins are updated and the software itself is updated. And as Google changes its algorithms on how sites are ranking, it's important that you do that. And there are other CMSs too that probably need similar attention. If you have a blog and it's on WordPress and your website is on HubSpot and your blog has a lot of pages, it's possible that the blog could be not ranking as well as it used to also. Um, even if you're on a very, very old version of HubSpot for your blog, it might be time to upgrade to one of the themes so that the content in the blog can do a better job uh, getting ranked by Google. So there are some upgrade and, and uh, ongoing configuration questions that you probably need to ask. Uh, in order to make sure that you're using the tools that your website is on as, as best you possibly can. But let's dig into some of these specific things that I want you guys to think about. So the first one is on-page SEO. And what we're talking about here are title tags. It's possible that your website has title tags. These are the tags you're using to put your keywords to describe the page from a title perspective. Um, you want to make sure that you don't have pages with duplicate copy. That happens sometimes if you have similar services. Um, you want to make sure you have pages that don't have low word count. You want to make sure that your pages don't have missing title tags or missing meta descriptions. Again, meta descriptions are the more detailed descriptions of what the what you're telling 
uh, Google to look for on that page. And it's also what, when you do a search on Google and you see that long description, that's generally getting pulled from your meta tag. So again, you want to write that meta description to describe to your user, your visitors, what's going to be on the page when they see you in a ranking. But you also want to use that meta description copy to signal to Google how to rank the page. Image tags, all your images need the proper tags. They need the proper text. Your H1s have to have keywords in it. Your page titles um, need to be in your meta descriptions. So there are uh, a lot of on-page SEO details that need to be paid attention to if you wanna make sure that your page is gonna rank for your keywords. Now, you know, Eric's completely right. We, we do end up with a lot of prospects who didn't even completely think through their SEO strategy before they started building the website. And you really need to know what those keywords are before you start figuring out what you're calling your pages, before you start doing your tagging, before you start writing your meta descriptions. You need to know what SEO, uh, what pages, uh, sorry, what words, what, what phrases, what questions you want to rank for. So I'm assuming that that piece of it is done already, but that's super important. Well, Mike, to be honest with you, a lot of times people do have, let's say, a meta description, but it's our story or uh, resources, right? Not real search phrases. And that's a mistake that they make or their web person was lazy. That is. And that's an example of page, page titles in the meta description. That's not going to help you. You really need to provide some descriptive copy so that uh, uh, searchers know what they're getting into when they click on your page. Um, this is probably one of the biggest ones is mobile SEO. So you, you may not be aware of this or not, but mobile is so critical to Google's strategy that if your site isn't optimized for mobile, and I don't mean website red, uh, you know, like uh, mobile friendly, I mean, literally designed to run on smart devices, it's not going to show up in searches that people are doing on their phone. So there used to be a way to have your, your traditional browser website show on a mobile device. That's not even good enough today. You literally have to code your website with multiple versions of the website so that when the site realizes the device that someone's using, it serves up a device-specific site. And if you're not doing that, it's very likely that you won't even show up in mobile searches. And think about how most people search today. They almost always search on their phone first. And then if they like what they see, they may come back to that site uh, when they get back to their home or when they get back in front of a laptop or a PC. So you really have to be there for mobile. And that means looking at what plugins you're supporting. So if you're running something like Flash, which doesn't run on mobile devices, they need to be removed or converted into something that does run like HTML5, something that your mobile device can render and show appropriately. The pages need to be designed very specific for mobile. Um, and, and interestingly enough, HubSpot actually does a good job at this. You can tell it what device you want to see how your page is going to, how, what your page is going to look like on a specific device. And you can actually take a look at that. So if you want to see how it's going to look on an iPhone 11, you literally can see that. If you want to see how it's going to look like on an Android phone or on an iPad, um, you can take a look at that. So that's one way to make sure that you're designing appropriately for each of these devices. And everything needs to be clickable. Every page needs to have a viewport tag. So these are very specific mobile executables that need to be in place in order for your site to look great on mobile and deliver a great mobile experience. Looked like uh, you were going to say something. I am. And, yeah. and I think it, it, it's, 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 it's SEO adjacent. And what I mean by that is 
so many people don't have their site optimized for mobile. And if you think about it strategically, a lot of the personas are on the go. So what do I mean by that? If I'm the safety officer in a big manufacturing warehouse and my client is trying to sell them some safety products, they might be utilizing their mobile phone almost exclusively for internet searches because they're, they're not desk people. They're on the go, right? So you want to give them that great experience. And if it has a subpar experience, you're losing an opportunity to connect with someone. Or sometimes people say, well, my folks are professional. They are at their desk. Okay, well, what about the professional who snuck out of work and is watching their kid's soccer game, and now it's halftime and they got 20 minutes to look for a safety products provider, right? Great. Let me pull out my phone. I got some time to do a little work here. So once again, the experience that you're providing them on, on mobile, the, the enabling them to search for your company and find it and have a great experience is crucial, especially with today's on-the-go uh, target markets. Yeah, that's such a good point. And just how about thinking about like people checking their email, right? They check their email on their phone. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, a link. I click on it. Like they're on their phone. They have to have a uh, an amazing mobile experience with the content that's being served up to them because that's how they're you know uh, getting access to it. So I think it's important to think about who you're trying to get in touch with and making sure that you recognize that a lot of people are viewing your your website and your content on a smart device, especially to start. You also have to make sure that your site is crawlable and indexable by the search engines because that's how they decide how to rank you. So they have to be able to process your links. If you have hidden pages, you have to make sure that they're appropriately hidden from your search engines. You may have a, a page that you're using internally that you don't want the search engines to rank. You have to make sure that those pages are, are uh, tagged appropriately. And you have to make sure that anchor link, link text is very descriptive. Again, that's gonna help you rank for the right keywords. A huge issue is security. Um, the secure socket layer. And if you want to know what that is, when you look at a site and you see HTTPS, that means that it's secure. When you see a site that's HTTP, that means it's not secure. And again, Google, I, if I, I might not be completely correct, but I don't think Google is even serving up sites that are not HTTPS anymore because it's so important to people to be on a site that's secure and not having information being shared appropriately. Well, so people you want to actually put enough weight into that, Mike. You know, I read an article that called that the Google slap. And they're slapping down those websites way down on the listings because they're not showing that it's secure. Why would Google want to take one of their uh, customers slash visitors to a website that's not secure? Like, doesn't even make sense in 2022. And that's where a lot of companies don't realize, well, wait, my website is not secure. And that's, once again, a pretty straightforward and easy fix. Yeah, very good point. Also, lots of times, and we do this too, if you're sending people off-site, so if you wrote a blog article and you threw a link in there and it takes someone to another page that you found, you thought was important to the story you were telling, you got to make sure that those off external page links are configured properly too, because the site you're sending them to may not be secure. And again, Google may hit you up for that as well. I got to say, one of the biggest issues that we see now are performance issues. And again, this is part of Eric's Google slap. You literally be able to, you have to be able to serve up a page in less than two seconds. And if you think about your own website experiences, it makes sense, right? When you land on a page and it's slow to load, what do you typically do? Eric, what do you typically do? When it what? It's slow to load. Oh, I'm on to the next page. Right. Or the next site. Exactly. Right. You're like, okay, this page isn't, I don't know what's up with it, but who, who else am I, who else can I look at? that's doing it right. So 
you got to make sure I'm very busy. I only have two seconds to get someone. <laughs> That's right. You got to make sure your pages are loading as quickly as possible. And this is big with Google. They're looking for that experience to be fast and, and, and efficient for their, for their searchers. So that means images need to be optimized. Plugins need to be used carefully. Images need to be sized correctly and large images need to potentially be below the fold. So, you know, everybody wants their image, their, their website to be rich in, in images and pictures and uh, carousels and plugins and animation and videos. And even the social sharing buttons that are very common in websites today, all these things are required to load before the page is even served up. So you have to make sure that your images are uh, optimized down and that the, you're testing the page to make sure that it can load quickly. And to Eric's point earlier, there are a lot of ways to test whether your pages are loading properly. Honestly, Google is probably the best place to go for this. If you Google page load speed, they have a tool that you can literally put your website in or put your page in and it will tell you how long it's loading. And if it's taking more than ten, two seconds to load, you got to look at the way the site is designed, the page is designed and the way the images are optimized and get those to be as minimal as possible. So the page loads quickly. Okay, um, last but not least, the user experience is equally as important. If you have broken links, if your page layout shifts, if the style sheet that someone used to build the site was not installed properly, you know, people are going to have bad experiences. They're going to leave the site. I don't know if anybody is, knows this or not, but the way Google really decides to index your site is when it serves it up, if someone clicks on it, they're looking for signals as a result of that click. Did they bounce right off of it? Did they not spend any time on it? Did they not click? So your goal with all the pages you're trying to rank is to get people to click on it, to get people to stay on it, to get people to watch videos and read and look at what's on it. If that user experience is, is weak and they bounce off of it, you're not going to rank. No, no matter how technically proficient the site is, you're going to struggle to maintain those rankings because you're just not giving the Google customer what they're looking for, which is information. They're not clicking. They're not watching things. They're not getting what they want out of it. Google knows that and they will not rank you highly. So all of these things, look, this is a fairly complex set of, of, of concepts we're sharing with you. And unfortunately, all of these things have to be done simultaneously at the same time. Your site has to do all of these things well in order to rank on, on, on Google or any of the search engines. We keep talking about Google, but this is universal across all the search engines. If it doesn't, if, if you don't have these technical issues solved, you're going to have problems growing organic traffic. And for most of the clients that we see, Organic traffic from Google is primarily the way we grow visitors, right? Um, yes, you have referrals and you have email and you have social and you have direct traffic and you have any of your paid campaigns, but nine times out of 10, the most of the, most of the visitors come from organic and organic has to be what you really lean into in terms of driving traffic and leads for your website. Anything you want to add? No, I mean even though this feels like a technical conversation, it's really quite strategic, right? How do I grow my business? Well, let me get more website visitors. You know, nobody's coming to a typical company's, uh, sorry, nobody's buying from a typical company without visiting their website first, right? So if I am not found, I don't get the opportunity. If I am found, then I have a bad experience. I, I, I chase away prospective clients. Like it all works together. Yep, it does. And we often say to clients, you know, how you, 
get presented on Google is a little like, you know, your retail store, right? So if you have a retail store and no one knows where you are because your sign is covered up and your windows are boarded up, it's kind of like the same if you have bad technical SEO. No one's going to find your, your website. No one's going to interact with your content, hear your story, or convert into a lead. So it really has to be at the top of the list for things that you need to do um, from a website and from a marketing perspective. Uh, one other comment, Mike. Yeah, A lot of prospective clients also want to talk about paid, right? And paid seems to be an expensive shortcut. And what I mean by that is that if they would just lean into the SEO for traffic, right, and make sure that they have the right strategy and are attracting the right people, repelling the wrong people, that is way cheaper than paying uh, for a paid campaign. I always look at paid as the cherry on top, another layer that when I can't squeeze enough out of my SEO, I might want to add a layer of paid. I don't want to start with paid and, and ignore SEO because once you get ranked and you're doing everything correctly, it becomes hard for your competition to leapfrog you because you're staying up at the top of the listings because you're doing best practices. Like a lot of companies don't think that way. They're just like, yeah, what's my paid budget? I'll just deal with that. Yeah, it's a very good point. And uh, no one has ever really identified this for sure, but there have always been this rumor going around that, if you do run paid, you tend to do better on organic. So it's almost as if Google is giving you a little extra bonus point or two for running paid campaigns in terms of ranking you organically. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. And it might completely be like one of these old wives tales that old wives tell that people talk about and have never really proven. But um, I think the point being that you can do a lot with your organic visitors before you even consider paid as an option. And you really should be focused on the organic piece. Plus, how many of us really skip over the ads, right? I don't know about you, Eric, but when I do a search, first thing I do is skip right past the ads and go to the first organic piece, the first organic listing, because I don't really wanna be influenced by advertisers. And honestly, I'm not really that interested in promoting the idea that you gotta buy your way into someone's uh, stream. I like the people that are doing it organically, the ones that Google is rewarding for good content and a good website experience. And that's kind of where I want to start my journey also. So I'm sure there are a lot of people that feel like that. And that's that's assuming you don't have any kind of ad blockers running, because if you're running ad blockers, you might not even get to see those ads. So it's interesting. Last Google has- I read said that 70% of people trust the natural and only 30% of the people would click on the ads. That, that sounds about right. And this is why Google keeps working to make those ads look as much like natural listings as possible. And I do find myself sometimes like, wait a minute, that's an ad, you know, because it looks exactly like an organic listing. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, as always, we have a lot of questions. So um, I'll fire them out there. If they're a little more technical, I'll try to handle them. If they're a little more strategic, I'll uh, let you uh, weigh in on it. Um, so this is from Barry in Los Angeles. He wants to know how frequently should we check our website for SEO performance issues? You, you got any idea what you would say to someone on that? Yeah, frequently is the answer because it's a living project. And I think that a lot of people create a website and they set it and forget it. And it doesn't work that way. You said to begin the show that Google changes its algorithms constantly and there's all sorts of factors coming into play. Um, your competition also has to be, uh, they're working to eat your lunch. So you have to look at it frequently. Now what frequently is, is to some companies that might be weekly, some companies that might be monthly. But if you're not even on the monthly uh, rhythm, I think you're missing a lot of opportunities to improve performance. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think monthly is the right answer here. I mean, it does take time for rank stuff to rank on your website. So 
I wouldn't be going crazy about, you know, looking at it every week. Although I like to see how we're doing weekly. And I like to do some projections of where I think we're going to finish at the month to make sure we're seeing improvements. But I think ideally, if you're looking at how you're doing every single month and you're making adjustments to a technical SEO adjustments to your site every single month, that feels like the right rhythm. So you might be looking at how you're doing from an organic perspective more frequently, but in terms of a technical SEO perspective, I think monthly is right, Barry. And I think monthly too, you'll be able to make uh, come up with some things that need to be fixed, work on them. And then you should see those improvements when you uh, check it again a month later. And again, a lot of these scanning tools that we've been talking about, uh, I like to scan our site at the beginning of the month, see how we're doing, and then scan it at the beginning of the next month and see if some of the issues we had have been improved and literally put together a checklist of issues that need attention, assign it to some people, get those issues dealt with so that when I do look at it again a month later, we've made some of these technical improvements. And again, I mentioned this, you want to do a little bit of work every month as opposed to waiting six months and then realizing, oh my God, I have all these things that need attention. How am I possibly going to get this done? It's almost like your to-do list at home. If every weekend you knock off one or two things, you're not looking at a huge list at the end of the month. So I would, I would take that approach to your technical SEO work. I got a question from Arthur in Miami. What skill sets are needed to keep our website working correctly? This is a good question, and I'll take a crack at this. Um, first of all, I think you need someone that might have some coding skills or some development skills because there are technical issues that pop up related to how your website is running that might need someone to go in and, and look at the HTML and make some adjustments to it. And then I also think you need someone with a bit of a marketing strategic perspective to make sure that the Keywords are integrated properly, make sure that the content is being displayed properly. And I don't mean like from a mobile perspective, I mean, from like a user's perspective, I think you're gonna need a combination of someone with some technical skills and some marketing skills to work together on this. What we typically do at Square Two is the marketers kind of look at the issues that have prop, uh, cropped up. If they can deal with them on their own, they do. And then they toss over the fence, the technical issues to the technical team to go in and make those adjustments as well. So I think you're probably looking at a, a dual uh, skill set here, or maybe a, a team approach to keeping the site optimized over a regular basis. And if you're going to do it every month, it's something that these people can work on for a couple of hours every month and keep the site tuned. I think it's also like a one plus one equals three kind of thing, right? If I put in two hours of work on my website, I might get back four hours worth of uh, results, meaning that my traffic would go up substantially. Um, I think it's also, uh, you know, when you procrastinate and you want to clean out the garage and you wait a whole year, then it becomes a whole weekend project where, you know, if your team is uh, organizing the garage as they go, it's five minutes here and there. And it's the same thing with the SEO efforts, right? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit is a lot better than, oh, we have to tear this down and redo it. There's also the momentum part of that as well, right? You don't want to lose momentum. Every time you make fixes, enhancements, your momentum goes up and you don't want to have that work against you for a long period of time. Agreed. And we've seen this too. Uh, clients have come to us. They have old websites on old platforms and they are now not no longer performing appropriately in terms of what Google's looking for. And we literally have to rebuild the entire thing. It's a big project costing, you know, a lot more than, you know, a couple of hours of, of attention. So 
if that is the case you're in, it's probably going to be better to, to do, do a complete rebuild and fix everything all at once than tackling a few things at a time. But to Eric's point, you don't want to get in that scenario. You want to be able to make small changes to this uh, and, and deal with it like that. Okay, so this question's from Mark in Chicago. How do HubSpot and other CMS tools like WordPress play into supporting or hindering SEO? Uh, I'll take a crack at this. And Eric, if you have something you want to add afterwards, uh, jump in. I want to tell you a little story. I, I knew a guy who rebuilt his website on HubSpot and claimed that because of the rebuild on HubSpot, all of a sudden his organic traffic shot through the roof. And I, I said to him, well, that, that kind of doesn't make any sense. I mean, the platform really has nothing to do with it. He was, no, 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 it's because of the platform. And upon further review and digging in a little more detail and having some deeper conversations with this gentleman, it turned out that it actually <clears throat> has nothing to do with the platform. And, and in his rebuild effort, he renamed some of his pages and he upgraded his meta descriptions and he changed some of his tags and he rebuilt the pages to have the, the images optimized properly. And, you know, it had nothing to do with the platform. It had everything to do with the rebuild of the website and doing it in a much more 2021 way. So uh, I'm sure there are other people out there who will tell you stories about how they moved their website from one platform to the other and everything improved. I don't think typically HubSpot or WordPress specifically, that's where most of our experience is was on those two CMSs. I don't know that any of them have any real impact, either plus or minus in terms of helping you with SEO. Now, I can tell you if you don't configure your website properly on these platforms, that could have something to do with it. Like if you're not using the security plugin or if, you're, if you're, your website might be blog.url as opposed to url.blog, like there are some ways to configure your content to make sure it's better optimized. But in my experience, I don't think it has any issue with the platform. Do you have any different experiences, Eric? No, not at all. No, I, I think it's how you use the platform, not the platform itself. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this one is maybe you could help us out with Eric. So if we're going to do this in-house, how many hours a week do you recommend someone dedicate to technical SEO optimization? It's from Wally in Fort Lauderdale. So he wants to do it in-house and he's wondering like, how long do you think this might take somebody if they were going to do it in-house? Well, the answer is variable. And the reason I say that is because of what our earlier comments were. The first thing is you have to audit what's going on today and snap a baseline, right? So how long is that going to take? Could be a couple of hours, could be a couple of days, right? The second part of that is then what's our SEO strategy, right? Because if we don't have the strategy developed, then what are we going to start working on? You can't bake the cake before you have the recipe, right? So there's going to be some hours involved there. There's going to be some research. There's going to be some conversations amongst leadership team. Hey, do we want to be found for that? Do we want to repel people for this, right? So that's time in. Then I think that there's a listing of the keywords and then using tools um, to decide whether they are worth optimizing. Uh, Mike, you actually know this topic better than I do. Give the um, you know high volume, low effort conversation. Yeah, it's perfect for this conversation. So, um, and actually, a lot of the tools are actually starting to give you some additional information as to the the uh, work and priority around a lot of these issues. So, when we prioritize work at Square Two, we're looking for items that are going to have a high impact and not take a lot of time. And a lot of these SEO tools will tell you that if you fix this issue, 
It's going to have a very high impact on your rankings and it's not going to take a lot of time. So I think that's how you want to think about it. For instance, it doesn't take a ton of time fixing your meta description. It doesn't take a lot of time fixing your uh, page titles uh, and how you use keywords in each of those things. And Eric mentioned it at the top of the show. If you have a ton of pages that are missing meta descriptions or missing title descriptions or images that don't have title tags, you can relatively easily go through those, add that copy in and fix a ton of uh, SEO issues without a lot of effort. Obviously, if you're looking at something that's more technical, like it's not rendering properly on mobile, yes, that's probably going to have a high impact, but that's going to take more time. So, you know, I might put that on the list of things to do, but below those things that can be done quickly and easily get those out of the way first and then focus on those issues that are going to take a little more time or maybe a little bit more expensive resource. Well done. So that's one of the time suckers, right? Then after that, once you do the actual implementation, like you said, be a lot less if you have a 50-page website, a lot more if you have a 500-page website to actually do the work necessary. But then you, you cannot stop there. You must then start to analyze the data that's coming from that on an ongoing basis. What's improving? Is that up to expectations? If it's not up to expectations, we need some more time to go back in and figure out why and fix it. So don't discount the post-work insights that come from the data that you're going to glean from the website. Then once you got everything fixed and you're starting to see everything going up in the right, then I would say it's going to be a lot less per uh, uh, time per week, simply because you kind of got like momentum. It's groovy. Now you're just adjusting or doing course correction as opposed to fixing it. Good point. I got a related question here from Peter in Boston. Is this ongoing monitoring and optimization typically something you see companies doing in-house or working with an agency on? So you, you probably have a perspective on that. Well, it's both, right? Because it's like any other position in the marketing and sales or and or the revenue team, as we like to say, right? Who's assigned to uh, SEO performance? In that box, the name could be someone of someone internal or the name of a firm that helps you. I would think a good bit of companies out there are using some kind of SEO firm. And that SEO firm, if they're worth their weight, then they'll be doing the analysis and, and prompting you to say, here are three things we'd like to work on this month that will give you better results. Internally, if you have an SEO person, well, that probably indicates that you have a lot of other people in your marketing department because the SEO person is not the first person that typically gets hired in a marketing department. You might have a strategist, you might have a copywriter, you might have a campaign manager, but um, SEO specialist is a little further down the line. So I would think that having an in-house SEO specialist would be for larger companies that have a much more robust uh, internal marketing department. I will say though, and while Square 2 is not an SEO-specific firm, there are a lot of SEO-specific agencies out there that could get you set up, do some fixes, start to do some analysis, little projects here and there. Because like we said earlier, even whatever you're paying the agency is in theory going to be cheaper than a big ad campaign on paid. Now, if the SEO firm says to you, you guys are cooking, there the, the traffic is going up, you're constantly ranked in the first three spots on all these pages, that's when I would look at paid to add another layer of traffic. Yeah, I think most of the time we're seeing companies use agencies for this. And again, it's to Eric's point, like it, it is a specialized skill set. Yeah, we've talked a lot about these tools that are out there, but it is there's a, there's technical work involved, which is not 
a skill set that a lot of marketing departments have access to. You know, even if you do need a developer and that developer is resident in-house, they probably have other company initiatives that they're working on as opposed to going in and helping you with technical SEO. So I think if we were looking at our, the kinds of companies that we meet, um, the kinds of companies that we typically talk to, they generally have this uh, as an outside resource as opposed to someone dedicated to technical SEO in-house. And again, a lot of, you know, Eric's right, we're not, we don't specialize in this, but we do this for clients all the time because it's fairly easy to stack up the issues fix them and keep the website optimized for search. So, you know, it's, e it's relatively easy to find an agency that can do this for you. If it is something that you don't think you have either budget for or the right resources for in-house, you, you can probably almost always find someone to help you outside the company. Can I make a comment on that too, Mike? I want to make sure. sure that our listeners don't feel that the SEO firm is the end all to everything. If you're using an SEO uh, resource, external SEO resource, you must tie them together with the strategic part of your marketing and some of the content that you're creating. So it all works hand in hand. Please don't think that you could just hire an SEO agency for a couple thousand bucks a month and be done with it. Yeah, it's a really good point. And we didn't really talk about this much, but the content is probably just as important from an organic perspective as the technical um, uh, firing of the website pages. So you know, the blogs you write, the frequency of your blogging has to be all aligned with the keywords you're trying to rank for, the pillar pages you're building, the knowledge base you put on your website, the FAQs you're answering, all of those, uh, all of that content has to be aligned with your SEO efforts, right? Like questions are huge now, and, and I'm sure everyone knows, you know, Google often serves up that zero ranking that when you put a search in and it's the top, the answer box is referred to as zero, zero ranking, the answer box. So it's because Google is gearing its search to be very conversational and to answer a question. I know, Eric, I, we were together over the weekend. I was teasing you, like you, you talk to Google, you ask it a question and you expect the results to pop up. A lot of people use Google like that. Google knows that and it's really gearing its search results to people who are asking questions. So, you know, when you think about FAQs on a pillar page or a knowledge base that answers questions, these are excellent content um, uh, pages and, and excellent content ideas to help Google rank for you. And if you can score that zero spot, that answer box, you're at the top of the ads, you're at the top of the rankings, you are where you want to be. So you really have to start thinking about the questions that people are asking. And that's not a technical exercise. That's a content exercise. You know, so this is where the marketer comes in versus the technical skill set. That marketer has to build a pillar page. Like we have one on our website, um, the Beginner's Guide to Inbound Marketing. We should have quite a few of them. The Beginner's Guide to Inbound Marketing, How to Choose a Digital Agency, um, a, a page for PE firms to learn everything there is about working with a marketing company. Like those are all designed to rank for very specific searches that are very specific to the kinds of people we want to attract to our site. Um, again, that's almost as important as the technical stuff we've talked about today. I have a very uh, connected question to what we've just been talking about. Kathy in Toronto would like to know, how much should you expect to pay an agency if we wanted to have an expert keep an eye on this for us? You got an answer for Kathy? Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends, right. I mean, it could be like $10,000 on the front end to do an audit and figure out the plan. Then it could be $2,000 a month for ongoing optimization. Like who knows? It also depends how many pages you have, what, uh, how aggressive your goals are for lead gen, right? 
So if I'm just happy to be listed, that's one posture. If I'm like, I need to double my lead flow, that's leaning into SEO, more traffic, more conversions and so forth. So I don't know if I had to, uh, you know, uh, pick a number, I would think that the ongoing maintenance for a decent SEO firm would be $5,000 a month or less US, uh, Kathy in Toronto. Uh, but if I was looking for a SEO project, you could be anywhere from 10 to $50,000 to revamp the entire SEO strategy, put it in place, do the work necessary, set up the reporting and all the things that go with a really good SEO effort. Yeah. And again, we, we, we kind of have a similar answer to this question. Like, it's all going to depend on what you're trying to accomplish, right? And obviously the size of your website and the current state of your website is going to be two other variables as to how much an agency might charge you to do something like this. But, you know, if you're really trying to improve your rankings and you want someone to spend 10 hours a month optimizing your site for technical SEO, it's going to be more expensive than if you want someone to simply pick off a few of the issues every single month and just make sure your to-do list isn't too long. So, you know, if, if organic SEO is a major part of your strategy, I wouldn't plan on investing a, a, a decent amount of your website related or SEO or lead gen budget into this because it's going to pay off. You know, Eric mentioned this earlier also, these are pretty good investments because once your site ranks, it tends to continue to rank if you continue to keep it maintained. Now, the competitors are going to try to outrank you. So you have to be aware of where they are. But um, getting that ranking and holding it is a lot easier than working your way up the food chain, right? Like if you're on page 10 and you want to be on page one, that's going to be a slog. If you're on page two and you're trying to get to page one, that's doable. If you're on page one and you're trying to maintain it, that's going to be a lot easier than trying to go from page 10 to page one. So again, I think it's it's something that you should be investing in. I think having an expert do it is going to be a shortcut versus trying to figure it out yourself. And I think it's so important that it's something that you ought to have as part of your marketing budget for sure. Okay, I have a related question to this because we hear this a lot. Once we make changes, how long does it typically take Google to re-index the site and for rankings to improve? This is from Walt in Philadelphia. So I'll take a crack at this, Eric, and if you have uh, something to add, you can hop in afterwards. So it's such a good question, and everyone is so literally impatient for results when it comes to marketing. You know, you launch a new site and clients are asking us like, well, is it ranked number one for these keywords? Like, no, it's not yet, right? Um, but there are some things you can do to help your site rank. One is you can actually submit it to be indexed. So again, you can Google this, submit my site to Google. You can fill out a very short form and that basically puts you in the queue for the Google spiders to come and crawl your site. I'm not telling you it's gonna happen in a couple of hours or in a couple of days. You're probably in a long line of people who want their websites re-indexed by Google, but it will be better than just letting those spiders find your site organically. So that is something you can do to, to, to accelerate the ranking process, especially if you make changes or launch a new site. That's probably something that you ought to do or have your website company or your SEO company do. Beyond that, it's going to take time. And uh, what you want to do is monitor it. You want to see where you're ranking for the certain keywords. You want to see where your pages are ranking. And you really should just be not worried about whether you're on the first page, but whether you're improving. Now, sometimes you're going to 
uh, get a bonus, you're going to see a big improvement. Uh, this happened to us a couple of years ago. We were trying to rank for demand generation and we were 10, 11, 12, 8, 10, 9. I'm talking about pages. Next thing I know, we're on page three. So like, honestly, like, I don't know how that happened. Like, I guess we had good content. Google indexed it. Maybe a bunch of people came to the site and clicked around and signaled to Google that the site had more value. So sometimes you get a big bump like that, which is nice. And then you want to lean into that. You really want to get that page three to page um, to page one. And by the way, here's a little tip. If you see where you are ranking and you look for not, not pages, but actual it, uh, um, listing numbers, right? So when you look at your rankings, you can see it says basically one to a hundred and you basically divide it by 10 and that's what page you're on. So if you're 50, you can pretty much guess you're on page five. If you're nine, you're on page one. If you're 10 or 11, you're at the top of page two. So a little trick that we typically do is with clients is we look for um, keywords or phrases or questions where they are like 10, 11, 12, 13. So they're close to first page, but second page. And then we focus on those keywords to try to get them up to nine or eight or seven and get them on that first page. If you can flag some keywords that you're close to page one and focus on those, build a new pillar page, add extra content to the pages that are ranking tweak your H1 or take a look at some of the technical stuff that we talked about, your tagging, Let get the site to perform to load in a second instead of two and a half seconds. Like all those things could literally move you from top of page two to top of page one. I mean, bottom of page one, just going from top of page one, two to bottom of page one is going to drive a lot more people to your site. Because let's be honest, how many of us really look at the second page? Most of the time we have enough information on that first page for us to decide, hey, this is good enough. I got three or four options here. I'm going to check these out. And, you know, if I don't find what I look, maybe I'll look at page two. So, you know, those are some you know, industry secrets, some tradecraft that we sometimes use to try to move people quickly. But SEO, organic SEO is the long game. It's going to take time to rank. You got to be in it for the long haul. You can't expect to go from 10 to one in any short amount of time. Walt, I hope that is the no fluff advice on organic search, but come on, it is what it is. Come on, Walt didn't want to hear that. I'll be like, yeah, you'll be on page one tomorrow. Right. All right. I got one more question from John and then we'll wrap up for the day. On average, what percentage of total visitors do you see represented by organic? John in Phoenix. Do you have any uh, idea what might be a good answer for John Ark? Yes, the answer is it depends on the company. I've said that 16 times already on this one episode. And that's because there's a lot of different factors at play, right? You might not have an industry that is using search so that your traffic is low. For example, it's a referral-based industry. Uh, lawyers and accountants working together, giving each other referrals. They're not a lot of searching for one another. So that might be low organic. Or if you have some kind of solution, people are searching like crazy because there's a lot of pain in the marketplace. That might be 80, 85% of the traffic might be organic. Um, do you have any stats like benchmarks, Mike, around? I mean, I, I can't even tell you for like B2B companies like we typically deal with. Well, I mean, I can look at that aggregate across our clients and tell you that generally organic represents more than 50% of their traffic, right? Yeah, that seems right. Right. So, and that's mostly because you're bundling so many other things in the other 50%, right? So you might not know this, but when you look at direct traffic, sometimes that lots of people say, oh, direct, they put my, you know, square2marketing.com in the URL and went right there. Like, yes, that is direct. 
but direct is also what Google can't flag, can't, can't identify. So there's a lot of other stuff in the direct bucket. And the direct bucket is generally the second largest bucket, primarily because there's all that other stuff in there. Then you get to social. Like, so when people go to LinkedIn or Facebook and they see something and they click on it and they come back to your site, you have referring websites. So if you have a link on another site, which is a great way, by the way, help signal Google that your site is valuable. If you have a link on another site, people click on it and land on your site. That's referral. If you're running email campaigns, which you should be, and people are clicking on those emails and coming to your site, obviously paid search and paid social make up a portion of that. So when you put all that other stuff together, it's generally the other 50%, which means organic is still the lion's share of the traffic, which is why we have a whole show dedicated to this. You really have to make sure that you are getting ranked and that the traffic is going up and to the right. So um, it's going to be a major part of where the visitors are coming from. And by the way, if you then look at how many leads we got from organic and how many sales opportunities we got from organic, those are generally the highest too, because someone took action. They searched for a keyword. They found your rank, your, your listing. They clicked on it. They came to your site. It's a lot different than you know, oh, I found a link on another page and I clicked on it, right? Like maybe they were just curious what that was. There's no intent behind it. Even on social, like you serve up an interesting ad. Someone's like, oh, that's interesting. They click on it. Like it's not the same as someone taking the action to do a search. So I do think those visitors are high value visitors and converting them into leads, even MQLs and building your, your prospect database should be a big focus for those people who are coming to your website. So, you know, when you're looking at organic traffic, you want to know what pages are they primarily going to and let me optimize those pages. That's why those pillar pages that I mentioned on the square two set are so important. I think Eric, the, the uh, inbound, Oh, the cyclonic buyer journey pillar page is one of our highly trafficked website at uh, web pages because people are searching for buyer journey, they're finding the cyclonic buyer journey, they're going to the page, they're learning about it. Um, there's intent there. So I think it, for most B2B companies, you're going to find that organic is the highest bucket of people who are coming to your website. And I think that's appropriate. Yeah. And I and that those numbers are typically without doing any extra SEO work, right? Just imagine if you leaned into your SEO campaigns, how much better you could optimize it. I mean, heck, they're already coming. Yeah, let's get agreed. more. Agreed. Awesome. So look, I hope this was helpful. I know it was technical, but we like to provide a wide variety of content here at What's Wrong With Revenue. And maybe this is more for the marketing people than the strategy people or the sales people, but I got really good news for you. And Eric, I know you're going to be excited about next week's episode. Episode 33, what's wrong with revenue? Your reps aren't guiding your prospects. They're still trying to sell them something instead of understanding that people don't want to be dealt with like that when it comes to sales. They want to be educated. They want to be advised and they want to be guided. So Square2 has an entire methodology that teaches people how to turn their sales reps into sales guides. We have a guided sales process that we'll talk about next week. So I'm highly recommending if you're struggling a little bit with sales or you have a big sales organization, or you want your sales team to perform better, next week's show is for you. So thanks everybody for listening. Again, to remind you, you can get the show on YouTube at the Square2 Marketing Channel. Like us, subscribe there, give us your comments. 
You can check out the show on our new free streaming service, Square Two Plus, on the Square Two website. All of our audio and video content is there. We publish something literally every single week. Square2marketing.com backslash Square Two Plus, P L U S. And if you want to answer, if you want to have us answer your questions, we did live stream on Facebook today. You can always hop on Facebook and interact with us live. But if you want to submit a question up front and then watch the show on demand, go to our link on our website at the bottom in the footer. What's wrong with revenue? You can submit a question and you can also subscribe to the show there. And we do email the show out in its video format so you can get it right into your inbox. And of course, we're available on all your favorite podcast platforms near you. Eric, it's been a great show again. Thanks for helping me out. And I'll see you next week to talk about your guided sales process. Yeah, let's close some deals. Sounds good. Thanks, man.